clearly when there's a, a dramatic event like this, you will get a sell-off and that will be across the board because people will pull funds out of uh, big index funds and the like, and therefore everything gets sold indiscriminately. And what we'll find is that prices of a lot of stocks will drop quite significantly for no good reason. They'll have no business in Russia. They'll have no connection to the Russian supply chain. Um, and actually, uh, you know, once the dust has settled a little bit, we might find that some, some real bargains in good British businesses, for example, of which we have plenty in UK independent wealth. Does that mean you're going to be delaying this month's stock recommendation in UK independent wealth, which I believe is due very soon? Well, ironically, um, on the day we're recording this, on the day of the um, the attack on Ukraine, was when we were due to recommend something. Now, these events don't change that recommendation. Uh, it's it's a very high dividend paying stock with a with a good inflation protection on its earnings, and um, not much exposure to Russia, if hardly any. Um, however, hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to This Week in Review without Nigel Farage. We're joined instead by Rob Marstrand, who's Nigel's partner in crime at UK Independent Wealth, which is sort of like our sister publication. Rob, I want to ask you all sorts of things, but as we're recording this, Ukraine is being invaded. And I know, uh, well, as I see it, you predicted this. Yeah, well, these are very dramatic events and... Um you know, rather shocking. Um, I think if if people are invested in the markets um, and don't have direct exposure to Russia or Ukraine, they shouldn't panic. Um, but clearly there will be a knee-jerk reaction. Um, in terms of predicting it, I, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to say that uh, I think they would roll the tanks in in this way, or the missiles or whatever. But um, I have been warning for a little while that I felt that everyone should avoid anything connected with Russia in terms of their investments. Um, I actually, funny enough, I, I thought the risk might be the other way around, although it'll come later, which is that uh, Western governments were likely to sanction um, financial instruments linked to Russia, which may mean things like um, they may not be able to trade on, on the UK stock exchange or the US uh, ADR market. Um, but, uh, you know, clearly with Russia's very dramatic actions, all sorts of new sanctions are going to be on the boards. And it's no surprise that, uh, I, I mean, markets are down today. We're talking on Thursday. Markets are down sharply around the world. Uh, but Russian stocks have absolutely imploded. Um, and to give, give you just one name, um, a favorite of lots of investors, uh, there's a big bank in Russia called Sparebank. Um, and uh, just having a look this morning, the shares are down an amazing 6 0 60%. Um, so that gives you an idea of the, the risks that, uh, that are involved in that market. Yeah, when I say you predicted, I'm going to read from your monthly issue of UK Independent Wealth, uh, dated the 27th of January. It literally begins with Ukraine adds to nervousness about inflation and interest rates. With markets unsettled, it's not the time to recommend a new stock. And you go on to explain that you did something unusual that month where you didn't recommend uh, an investment like you usually do. Um, so uh, as far as I'm concerned, you called this one beautifully. Let's quickly dig into this issue of, of a delisting of Russian stocks on the UK market, which is a pretty big risk because there's a lot of Russian stocks on the UK stock market. Yeah, that's right. And quite a lot trade as what are called American depository receipts in the US as well, or ADRs. Um, well, the, the issue to me is that if you look at the, the trade between Russia and the West, and let's concentrate on the UK and the US, there's actually not that much. So, you know, if you look at, um, for example, who, who is it that imports all the gas to keep their um, power stations going? 
in Europe, well, the Germans and others certainly need a lot of it, but actually for the UK, it's a relatively small amount. Um, so there's only so much they can do in terms of economic sanctions. And in fact, obviously cutting off the gas supply is cutting off your nose to spite your face if you rely on that to keep the lights on. So there's only so much that the US and, and the UK and others can do in terms of sanctions. So they, they naturally will have to look at the financial markets and that's cutting off capital raising. So they've already talked about cutting off the Russian government from, from uh, issuing new bonds in the UK, for example. But I think given enough time and given the, the recent events, I think that could go further. And we might find that a lot of Russian um, companies that have shares trading in these markets will suddenly find that um, trading might be suspended. So if you own those either directly or through a fund, you might find that you can't sell them for a period of time that could last many years potentially. Um, or they could literally get delisted and, and who knows how much compensation, if any, uh, shareholders might get. Now, the reason they might do that also is that it wouldn't be politically controversial because um, I don't think very many Western investors have Russian stocks. So it's not like they're going to lose a lot of voters. It might hit a few emerging market um, index funds and emerging market uh, managed funds, um, but it's only going to be a small part of those anyway. So I see a real risk of investing in Russia. Um, have done for at least a year. Um, well, have done for many years, but it, the risk goes up and down. But the risk clearly has been elevating over the last six, nine, 12 months. And now we see that the risk is very, very real. Yeah, you've often referred to them in the past as stranded assets. And I like that phrase. I think it really highlights the nature of the risk. Let's move on to, I think, the other way that this could have impact the UK investor. And that's the the commodity side of things, because Russia is the world's largest energy exporter, key for oil, key for gas, a lot of uh, metals, minerals, all sorts of things. How do you see this? I mean, it's actually already playing out now. We were talking before we started recording about some of the action in markets, and it's just, it's just as remarkable and just as impactful as what's going on in terms of the, the, the stock market action. Well, I, I think the immediate impact won't be just to investors. It'll be to everybody because... Uh, Russia is clearly a huge supplier of not just natural gas, but also oil. It's one of the biggest oil producers in the world, along with uh, Saudi Arabia and the USA. Now, the oil price, just before we record this, I checked Brent, Brent crude was trading at $105. Now, that will have changed by the time people see this video. Maybe it will have gone up further. But that's, that's you know, going to make petrol at the pump more expensive. It's going to make heating bills more expensive, or well, the gas will especially. Um, I think you were telling me, actually, you'd, you'd read that um, European gas uh, futures prices had rocketed as much as 40% uh, on the news of the invasion. So, you know, clearly that's going to mean prices go up, but not just direct energy prices, not just fuel prices. Those feed into just about everything that we consume because everything has to be moved. Everywhere it's stored has to be, you know, has to have lights turned on or heated. Shops have to have heating, have to have lights. Um, when people go farming, they have to drive tractors around, which need diesel, you know, all this type of thing. So it feeds through to almost everything. So this could be another, as if we needed it, another uh, catalyst for more price inflation in the things that we buy day to day. And that was already bad enough. The Bank of England was already talking about going over 7% a year on their CPI measure um, by, I believe, April. Um, and the old old school retail prices index, which um, many of our readers will know about, they're talking about it going over 10%. And this was before these events. So um, yeah, clearly inflation is going to be a big issue. On the investor front, um, just to go back to that, 
clearly, when there's a, a dramatic event like this, you will get a sell-off, and that will be across the board because people will pull funds out of uh, big index funds and the like, and therefore everything gets sold indiscriminately. And what we'll find is that prices of a lot of stocks will drop quite significantly for no good reason. They'll have no business in Russia. They'll have no connection to the Russian supply chain. Um, and actually, uh, you know, once the dust has settled a little bit, we might find that some, some real bargains in good British businesses, for example, of which we have plenty in UK independent wealth. Does that mean you're going to be delaying this month's stock recommendation in UK independent wealth, which I believe is due very soon? Well, ironically, um, on the day we're recording this, on the day of the um, the attack on Ukraine, was when we were due to recommend something. Now, these events don't change that recommendation. Uh, it's it's a very high dividend paying stock with a with a good inflation protection on its earnings, and um, not much exposure to Russia, if hardly any. Um, however, when there's general market turmoil, everything gets sold off, and there's no point buying into anything in the market. At a moment where it could go down five, 10, 15 percent over over a few days, just because of the macro picture. So yeah, we will um, probably hold off a few days and just see how events unfold. Um, but the idea will very much still be there, and um, it's still definitely uh, a stock that I think is appropriate for these inflationary and uncertain times. Yeah, let's turn back to that inflationary story because I mean, do you think that's what Putin's leverage is here? That's what his gamble is based on the fact that Europe can't really react uh, as much as I'm sure they would like to because of these impacts on especially the energy side of things, but then the the sequence of effects that also you know, move into just a general inflation, uh, which like you said, is already a problem. It seems to me that he's, he's gambling or punting that Europe won't um, cause much trouble for him in Ukraine because they just can't afford to. Yeah, I'm not sure whether inflation will necessarily be top of his mind. It might be on the list of, of things that they've calculated. Um, it's just about keeping the lights on, keeping the factories going in Germany and all the rest of it. I mean, if you if you cut off the gas supply, I mean, already the, the, the Germans have said they're not going to um, open up the new pipeline called Nord Stream 2, which runs directly into Germany, I believe. Um, the rest of the gas, or an awful lot of it, comes through Ukraine. And Aside from whether those pipelines might get damaged or, or whether they just get, you know, they get cut off because of activity in terms of military activity. If the Russians just turn around and say we're cutting off the gas to, to Europe for a time, it creates all sorts of mayhem in the energy space. Um, economic mayhem, clearly. Um, now, inflation obviously is, is a side effect of that, too, because that everyone will be scrambling to get gas and, and oil and whatnot from everywhere else around the world where they can. But there's simply not enough to go around or at least there's not enough um, to replace those supplies in short order. So it will it would create chaos, it would create price rises, but it, it will just literally mean the lights going out in lots of cases. Up until a few months ago, central bankers have been telling us that inflation is transitory, that it's going to go away because all the problems of the pandemic are going to go away. Now it seems they've got a new excuse for why they might not raise interest rates, a new excuse, a new scapegoat to blame inflation on. Do you think this Russian invasion of Ukraine is going to have an impact on how fast and whether even central banks will raise interest rates? Well, just step, stepping back slightly. Um, so we warned our readers at UK Independent Wealth about the inflation risk in January last year, way before it was on the radar screen of you know the, the media and, and most investment analysts for that matter. 
And we wrote in detail why we thought there was a lot of risk in, in May and June and explained the rationale behind that, um, which is stuff that most people don't really get into. And then of course it's been creeping up, creeping up, creeping up, creeping up, and, and it looks like it's gonna keep going up. And we, we think, well, before these events, we already thought that inflation had a pretty strong looking outlook, which is not good for anyone. Um, clearly, uh, it will be tempting for politicians to and central bankers to claim that it, with hindsight, when we're looking six months down the line or nine months down the line, and oil is at 150, and I'm, that's just a guess, I'm, that's not a prediction, um, they'll be blaming it on the, on the situation in Ukraine. Um, and that will have an impact. Um, but the crucial point is that actually the money supply rocketed during the COVID pandemic. Economies have bounced back and now we've got masses more money washing around economies that are roughly the same size and you get inflation as a result. It's not rocket science. Although some people don't agree with that point of view, but <laughs> I happen to think that's, that's very real. Um, but yes, because if it, if it results in weaker economies because of what we talked about before, which is that if energy prices go up, it makes prices go up even faster. Um, economies could become weak, particularly let's say if um, if you were to raise interest rates and mortgage rates went up, for example, house prices could crash and people lose confidence and um, there's less activity in that market and that would cause slowdowns. It could cause bad debts in banks, which causes banks to stop lending. So there's lots of risk there. So then the question becomes, well, if inflation goes up even higher the economy becomes weak and the central banks don't act because um, because the economy is already weak and they don't want to make it even weaker. Do we end up in some kind of really dreadful stagflationary kind of death spiral for quite a long time? And um, it's too early to really say, but there's clearly a risk that things get quite bad on the economic front. Um, and the, the central banks, quite frankly, after decades of keeping rates too low, have painted themselves into a corner. And now that inflation is rearing its ugly head, um, what do they do? They keep rates low and inflation takes off like a rocket or they raise rates and the economy crashes. So what do they do? Buy gold is what they do. That's one of the few assets that's performing especially well today. What makes it interesting though, is that for a long time, Bitcoin was uh, sort of advertised as the new gold, as a risk hedge and inflation hedge. Well, it's performing very badly today. So can you tell us about why that divergence is happening? Yeah, well, I'm, look, I think everyone should have some gold in their portfolio all the time. Um, uh, not necessarily a vast amount, but it's a good diversifier against cash that you may have, which loses value with inflation in this low interest rate, rate world and stock markets. Um, and it's it, it's been in the UK independent portfolio uh, since we launched in 2020. Um, to be honest, it's been bobbling along sideways, but now it's coming into its own because it's it's has several roles and one of those is as crisis insurance so when the world goes to hell in a handbasket a lot of money rushes to gold as a safe haven and so we're seeing the prices starting to go up and in fact that started uh, a couple of weeks ago as this tension mounted over ukraine after a, a quite a long period of not really moving very much moving in quite a tight range so it's good to have gold at the moment certainly um in terms of uh, gold and bitcoin I, I think they're very very different beasts Gold, as I said, is a safe haven in times of crisis. I see Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies more uh, akin to speculative growth stocks, the sort of stuff in the ragged speculative, non-profitable, even non-revenue corners of the particularly US, but other stock markets. And um, in these sorts of times of great uncertainty, 
it seems, and inflation, it seems that Bitcoin and others don't really like it very much and the prices have been falling on those things. So I'm not quite sure why um, that would be necessarily in the sense that um, it's not like just general stocks which are in an index and index funds sell down everything. Bitcoin should be sort of separately off to the side as, a, as an uncorrelated different type of asset. But what might be happening is that uh, it's possible there are leveraged speculators in the cryptocurrency space. So they've borrowed money to speculate on Bitcoin, which I think is an insane thing to do personally, but I, I'm sure there are some people doing it. And when they get their margin calls from their stockbroker or whatever, um, which means when they get told because the prices of their other investments are going down, they've got to pay some of their debt back that they've used to leverage their investments. They get forced to sell whatever they can to get the cash. And that may be trickling over. It's just a spec, you know, that's a, that's a kind of speculative view. I, I don't know that for certain, but it could be what's happening. Or it could just be just a complete loss of, of confidence and everyone saying, I've just got to get to whatever I think is safest in the short term and see how this, this plays out. Yeah, it seems to me that Bitcoin has become very financialized. It's become part of the financial system and therefore it's behaving like a, like that part of the financial system. Uh, whereas gold seems well, to be... Well, that's, that's highly ironic. I just say that highly ironic because I remember when Bitcoin first um, was launched and uh, I, I dipped into a few of the sort of chat rooms of the, the, the libertarians and the anti-capitalists and the whatever that were saying it was going to change the whole world money system. It was going to replace the dollar and the pound and everything else. And it was going to be complete to the side. And of course, in the last year or two, one of the reasons that these things have been shooting up is that the financial industry is moving into it in a big way, creating funds, creating futures, creating options, creating, you know, all sorts of speculative vehicles and, and add-ons and, and complications. Um, so it's become, it's, well, I wouldn't say it's quite become mainstream, but it's become, you know, within the orbit of investment banks and big fund managers, certainly. I think there's plenty of useful little bits of information there to wait on the stock market purchases, but the opportunities will be coming. Uh, looking into the fact that gold's performing as it should be, looking into why Bitcoin has been underperforming during a crisis, contrary to many people's expectations. Rob, thanks very much for joining us and to everyone at home. Thanks for watching.